the game on the line, you can't fold and you can't bend. Y'all uh, be playing it safe and I be going for the win. Remember back when they was doubting on the kid. Uh, now they tuned in cause my game too legit. Cool. Hey, what's going on, you guys? Welcome back for Giving AF Podcast. This is a second chance podcast. Um, man, I don't even, I can't even like explain how excited I am about this episode. I know I say that every time, but w wait till I explain kind of where I'm coming from with this one. I've got an awesome guest on the show with me today. His name's J. Damn Gum. He uh, started, I don't even know how to go into this one. It's so exciting, dude. So he started a program called Forgiven Felons to help people like me who have come out of prison um, just to make sure that, because there's not really any support out there. But before I get into it, I also want to say the first person that actually made me feel like I could make it when I came out of prison was him when he asked me to come be on his podcast. So I'm really just telling you this for the first time. I know I just told you that, but it, I have to stop because it like makes me want to cry because that was something that was really special, man. Like you, somehow we connected and you, you looked me up and you saw that I was worth bringing on your podcast, man. And it gave me a special type of confidence. So thank you very much for that, man. Man, you are welcome. And it is great to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you have a podcast now. I think you've always needed to have one. And so when I saw that uh, on social media that you had one going, I was so, I was so thrilled. And then I've listened to every episode and I can't say that about all my other friends that have podcasts. I can't say that, bro, but I have listened to every one of yours and I love them. The last one, the most recent one is, is probably my favorite. Uh, the hunger, the hunger well, in the wild. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so anyway, but I am, man, it's an honor to be here and I'm excited for you. Uh, this podcast is going to take off, bro. And, and then, you know, like ours last year started going into, into the prisons and jails across, across the nation. And so eventually I want to connect you with the same people that, that upload content to the tablets and jails and prisons and get, and get your podcast in there as well. That would be so cool. I don't even know if I ever told you I had a, a guy reach out to me that had heard mine and your uh, podcast that in the prisons. And he was trying to like start like a clothing line. Um, but he just didn't really feel like he had the tools and stuff and had said he listened to our, our podcast and he, that gave him faith that he could do it. And he reached out to me and I, I, mean, I think we still keep in touch. It was like, a it was a clothing line that he wanted to do. That was, a, you know, trying to like a motivational clothing line, but all my, my listeners, they know about me, man. I want to make this about you. I want to get, you know, because what you do is so important, man. It's so important. I think that that's a community that a lot of people are scared to get involved with because they're afraid of that, having that, not correlation, but that, um, I don't know, they, they're worried about how it looks. You know what I mean? Man, if I'm helping these prisoners or ex-inmates, is that going to make me look bad? So I think that's a tough place. But could you start out real quick? Could you give us a quick, because um, your testimony is amazing. Could you give us, could you run through your testimony for us real quick? Yeah, so man, I grew up in church. I mean, we I grew up in a my, when I was born, my mom and dad were saved, going to church. Me, my brother and two sisters, uh we were we grew up Baptist. So we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh and 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 it was it was great up until 6th grade cuz we went to the school that was associated with the church. And then in 6th grade, we I was excited about playing football in junior high. Well then Something happened with my family and the church, whatever. And they just said, we're going to move to another church. We moved to a Pentecostal church, which also had a school, but they didn't have football. So I was mad. 
I started lashing out. I literally set the school on fire, not in a spiritual sense, but in a literal sense. And then I got to high school. You know, I started, I was trying to get back at my mom and dad by hanging around those people that your parents don't want you to hang around. We all have those people when we were younger. You need to stop hanging around there. They're bad influences on you. And we're like, yeah, we know. So, and eventually my sophomore year in high school led to me and those four guys getting kicked out for drugs and alcohol. And then in college, um, I majored in Jack Daniels. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, late night studying in that course. Uh, and then two years later, I dropped out. Went back home to Dallas, become a bartender. I started accumulating public intoxications, uh, minor in possessions. I hadn't turned 21 yet. And then I turned 21. And then it was all downhill from there. I got my first DWI on a Friday night. I was working at a law firm as like a court runner, clerk boy, whatever. And on a Friday night, they had uh, what they call a fr- They had it once a month. I forgot what they called it, but it was like a, just a party. And the firm, like provided all the alcohol for free. And so it's just like, have at it. And they, they fed you. And I got my first DWI going home from that on a Friday night. Second one, the following Tuesday. So like five days later, I got my second one. I had just gotten my car out of the pound. And then I got another DWI with that same car. And then about a year later, December 16th, 1994, I got my third DWI. And no one wanted to bail me out then. So uh, I sat in jail during Christmas, and my 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 sister had her niece on December eighth, so a week before that, and so I hadn't seen my niece yet. And on Christmas Eve, the whole family came up to see me, and the first time I laid eyes on my niece was through plexiglass. Was that like a three strike thing? Like, was it because you got your thief? Not yet, or- not yet. It was just because the system hadn't caught up to all my charges yet. Oh, okay. So, so. Nobody would bail me out like the first two times. The first two times, it was easy to bail out. But this third time, I sat in there for almost till New Year's and until they finally uh, figured out what was going on. But when I had to look at my niece through plexiglass, that was the first time in my life that I realized the decisions I make don't just impact me. They impact my whole family and even even people that weren't born yet. Man, that's you deep. Know? It's so true, but it's deep. And from that moment on, uh, two years... The next two years were amazing. Um, I turned myself in because they let me go, and they didn't. They didn't. I didn't go to court for any of those three. So summer came. I turned myself in, and I did three months in jail for the two DWIs in Dallas, and I had one in Fort Worth, and um, ended up doing about five months altogether. The next two years were incredible. I was serving the Lord. I was dating a Christian girl at the school that I was working for, my alma mater. And um, at the end of that two years, the summer of 1997, I just, the girlfriend broke up with me. The job laid me off. And in that, in that two years, I would say I was serving the Lord 99%. You know, yeah. um, and, and 1% is too much to give to the devil, and 99 is not enough to give to God. And so I'm, at the end of that two years, my girlfriend breaks up with me for another guy. The job lets me go. And the one thing that I didn't give up during the, the two years, I gave up alcohol, I was serving the Lord, I was on fire, I was teaching Bible study, I was doing all this stuff. But every once in a while, I'd have a bad day. And I'd go off by myself, not tell anybody, I don't smoke a cigarette. 
So cigarettes were, was the vice that I wasn't willing to give up to God. And I call that my, my 1%. And we all have different 1%s. Um, that, but it, it's, not, it's not about what it is. It's about what, what it represents. Yeah. Our, our unwillingness to yield that part of our life to God. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting there, and the devil, I'm smoking my cigarette. The devil says, you might as well start drinking again. You're already smoking. Look what serving God got you. And that look what serving God got you was was the was the that was the killer because I was serving God and I did get those things but he was trying to make it sound like it was God's fault before I lose this chance to to get this question in real quick do you feel like because one of the big things and I'm sorry to interrupt you with the story do you feel like um self-pity was a I that's something I have to really look out for for myself is self-pity like when something bad goes down like that and I'm not trying to say were you like what was me but do you think there was any instance of self-pity absolutely in that moment there that that one day when I was out there I was I was feeling sorry I was mad at God I was feeling sorry for myself and and that was the breeding ground for the devil to come in and the devil loves to attack people that are vulnerable with uh, with all that stuff, with that self-pity, if he can find somebody having a pity party, a self-pity party, ooh, that's the perfect time to rush in. He didn't bother me for two years. He didn't bother me for two years until that moment. And he knew, because I was a confident guy. But when a girl breaks up with me for another guy, and I knew that guy, that hit my confidence. Yeah, That hit my self-esteem. And then when my, my that's the first job I ever got fired from. You know, and I was an alcoholic, and I still never got fired from jobs. I just usually walked off, but that was the first job I ever got let go. So, but from then on, it was all downhill from there, man. I got a job at a escort service, driving prostitutes around, selling dope to every girl that got in my car. Uh, the parties, the I mean, it was bad. I would had, had guns held to my head in that lifestyle. And the only thing that, that good that came out of that time of my life, that year and a half of my life, was I have a son, 22-year-old son who lives in Oklahoma. And um, he, 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 I got a girl pregnant and uh, didn't get to see him or know him until he turned 18. And uh, now, we, now we have a relationship and, and I'm able to pour into him. But, uh, but man, I was downhill from there. I got my fourth, fifth DWI all at the same time on May 21st. 2003, a judge looked at the courtroom and said, um, I don't see a very bright future for you, Mr. Gum. And then he sentenced me to five years for my fourth DWI, five years for my fifth DWI. My dad and sisters were in the courtroom crying. My heart was so hard that their tears didn't even move me. And that's how, I mean, you could grow in the Lord and you could grow in the devil. And I grew so much in the devil that the the heart was so hard that that didn't even bother me. And um, went went to prison, got caught up in the game. September eighteenth, two thousand three. I just celebrated my spiritual birthday, September eighteenth. I got locked up in solitary confinement. Was in there for eight days. Each day had a conversation with God. That first day, Romans eleven twenty nine. My gifts and, and callings are without repentance. That's the, that verse and, and God's presence just filled that, that solitary confinement cell. It was quiet all day. I went in at 9 a.m., and by 10 p.m., I was just crying uncontrollably. And that's when his presence and that verse just filled the room and said, he's not sorry. They're irrevocable. The, the gift that I gave you, the call that I have on your life, are irrevocable. I haven't changed my mind. I still want to use you. you know. And, and then the next seven days were just me 
100%, not 99, not 50%, 100% yielding to him. That's so good. I think that verse alone is exactly like the motto for, you, you know, someone getting out of prison. You know what I mean? Like, just because you've done something wrong, my gifts are still my gifts for you. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy to think like, oh, I've messed this up. I've messed up my chance of having God's grace and God's gift. But no, I mean, you just said it like that doesn't, you don't lose that. And that's, and that's the biggest thing too. And, and it's hard because I mean, man, wherever you go, whether you want to work at a church, whether you want to go to a church, whether you want to uh, get a job, whether all society and even church, sometimes church folk sometimes will always think you're disqualified from those gifts and calls because of what you did. And, uh, and it's hard for us to navigate that because there are some Pharisee type Christians and, and people that are self-righteous that don't believe that we should ever have anything better than them because of our past. And, um, you know, and that, that verse just, that verse just, and I, and I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And he just affirmed all the call, the, the call to preach, the call to encourage, the call to mentor. And then the next day I was like, all right, God, we got to talk because I don't want to quit drinking Jack Daniels. I don't want to quit smoking cigarettes. There's nothing in my body. Um, we had a we had a, a an addiction doctor on our podcast recently, and he said every addiction, no matter what it's to, there's a line that's crossed. And when that line is crossed, the addiction changes the hypothalamus in our brain that now that tells you what you used to go to is not going to be the same thing you go to. Now it's going to be something different. He said the same the same it's the same thing that when somebody's thirsty it, it tells him to drink water he said for an alcoholic it tells him to drink alcohol and so but there's a line that that it crosses and i had crossed the line in those two things and there was nothing in me that wanted to stop drinking or smoking and and i said god you're going to have to do something inside me that i can't help you with and the next day Sean i woke up and it was like this 100 pound weight was lifted off my body from that day on, I never thought about, spoke about, did anything the same way towards alcohol, Jack Daniels, and cigarettes. And I just start. I began thanking God. I was like, God, thank you. Whatever you did, I feel it. And he said, now I want you to work on your, your cussing and your gambling. <laughs> and Sean, I said a cuss word right then. Because <laughs> that's hard. In prison, it's hard to quit cussing and gambling in prison. And it was September, start of football season. I walked in. I got locked up with 20 bets, you know, out there. And you can't just go. You know as well as I do. You can't just go and, you know, cancel all your bets. You know, you got to pay up on your bets. And so the whole thing was a and, – and my cussing, my cussing was bad. You know, I'm not talking about just situational cussing where you get hurt and you let one slip. I mean, every other word was F word for me. So I knew I needed to change some things. And he took me through a four-month process. He let me relapse. And that's for somebody out there right now. He let, he allowed me to relapse. He allowed me to make mistakes in the process to make me stronger. He knew with the cigarettes and the Jack Daniels, he, I couldn't help him. So he delivered me out of those. But he walked he with the other two. He 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 hooked arms with me, stood shoulder to shoulder with me, and said, "Let's do this part together." And 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 that's what I love about God is that there are times where He will deliver us from or out of something. But most of the time he loves to partner with his children yeah. and say, let's walk this walk together. That's good. Do you think it's almost like a, you heard them say fail forward, like relapse to be able to come back out of it stronger. Like I'm a big believer in that. I've seen, I've seen it so many times. Uh, 
you mess up just to come back even stronger because you realize, well, you know what? I'm trying to do this by myself and I can't. Where are you at, God? Let's do this, you know? That's good. I, you know, people hate it when they hear me say uh, relapse can be a very important part of your recovery because some people feel like you could just quit cold turkey and, and never go back. And there are some people that do that. And God bless those people, you know? Yeah. That's great. It's awesome. It's amazing. Uh, I feel like that's, that's, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I quit cold turkey with Jack and, and smoking because I was already away from it because of the because of the prison. I didn't have access to it where I was, but I knew I, my mind. It was all in my mind. It was still in my mind before that day. I knew where I was going. I knew what liquor store I was going to to get my cigarettes and my Jack. And so, you know, from that day on, I came out of I came out of seg uh, administrative segregation, and I was a new person. Started getting mentored, and. I was doing great. And those mentors got out about a year later and they were back in prison before I made parole. That's kind of discouraging too. I've seen that happen too, especially people who are mentoring you and positive people because you get out into that world and it's an entirely different environment. I can tell you multiple people that I was incarcerated with that are back in prison now. Yeah. And and, and it did. It was discouraging. But I, I was more like, okay, God, I got some questions for you. You anointed these men to mentor me, and they didn't make it. And that that makes me question how I'm going to make it when I get out. And he said, as long as you pursue this dream, I'm going to give you, you'll never come back in this capacity. And that dream was interesting, what he said, because the first book I read in prison was a book called The Dream Giver. And it was about God, who's the dream giver, giving everybody a dream, but some people live in this land of familiar and they never pursue their dream. And Ordinary, who lived in the land familiar, was given this dream one night, and he wanted to pursue his dream, but these border bullies, his dad, his mom, his best friend, were all trying to talk him out of it. And then he sees a guy named Champion who did leave to go pursue his dream. He gave him some tips and everything. He said, man, just fight fight through the border bullies and pursue your dream. It'll be worth it. And that book was the first book I ever read. And so when he said, I'm going to give you this dream, and you'll never come back as long as you pursue it, I was like, all right. Well, then he gave me the dream of having a transitional house where people can land out of prison if if all their bridges have been burned. They don't have family to help them. They don't have friends. Um, when I got out, my mom and dad welcomed me home. I had a car, had jobs, had money thrown at me, had everything. Not everybody has that. And uh, I wanted to be that for, for some people, you know. And so, so when we got out, we started the nonprofit and um, and – it took us about five years to get the houses going, but in the meantime, uh, we we were busy mentoring, discipling, having services, and that that's a message for somebody, man. Even if you don't feel like the big the bigger part of your dream is ha- happening in your timing, find some find some other parts of your dream that you know you're going to be doing as the big part of your dream, and do it already. So I knew that I was going to be mentoring and discipling guys as a part of the big dream. So I started doing that. I was visiting overdose cases in, in hospitals and praying for them and walking through life with them. And then one day somebody came and said, hey, I want to buy this duplex. Would you like to have your Forgiven Felons ministry in it? And I said, absolutely. And so, you know, but I was, I was about to give up. January 2012, my wife and I went to a conference with our pastors, and it was a, a compassion conference. So every speaker had a compassion-type ministry similar to ours at the, as a part of their church. And I knew every speaker except for one. His name was Bill Shear, and he was a pastor of Guts Church in Oklahoma, Tulsa. And I love how God knows what we need. He knows that I'd, encouragement from my family and friends 
is great. But when I get encouragement from a total stranger that doesn't know what I'm thinking, that doesn't know what I'm going through, and God gives them a word, it's like, okay, all right. And, and I love the encouragement from the family and friends. I love it. But I feel like almost sometimes they feel obligated to do it. They have to do it, you know, and so that's why they're going to do it. But God knows what I need. In, in five years from the date we had filed our, our, uh, our DBA for forgiven felons, was January 2007 is when we officially started. January 2012, this guy that I did, have never met before is on stage. Love him. Love his ministry. Love what he's doing. And he just stopped in the middle and said, there's somebody out here. This has nothing to do with my sermon. There's somebody out here that has been waiting for their dream to happen. They're waiting five years, and they're about to give up. They want to give up, and I'm telling you, don't give up. It's about to happen. I can't even tell you the chills I have right now. Like, my toes are tingling. For anyone that doesn't know, can you explain what a transitional house is? So it's a lot of people will call it a halfway house, but um, I like to call it um, a transitional house. I think halfway houses are exactly that. Halfway houses only treat half the, half the person. The state halfway houses will beat them over the head with the practical get a job, you know, stay out of trouble, stay away from these guys, stay away from these places. That's all good practical stuff, um, but they're not addressing anything spiritual. Uh, some halfway, faith-based halfway houses will beat them over the head with the spiritual, but not really approach the practical side and teach them practical things that they need to, re, to reintegrate successfully. And so I didn't want to call it a halfway house. I wanted to call it a transitional house. I almost called it transformational house. But... I like transitional house because I didn't want them to be there that long. I wanted them to be there long enough to have an impact on, uh, on the rest of their life. And so they come out, we give them uh, bus passes, hygiene, clothes, food to start off with. We connect them with all the things that they, they get when they first get out, the food, the food stamps they get for three months for free. We, we tell them to go ahead and do that because, you know, it's just, it's good. Free food, you know, take advantage of it. And then, uh, and then we connect them with jobs. We have multiple job connections so they can figure out, do they want to work over here at this modular home company where they're building, you know, you have different trades. Uh, this AER, it's an automotive engineering company. We've got about 15 guys that have been with this company for six or seven years. It's an amazing company. And we just teach them stuff. We take them to a recovery class because most of them had some sort of addiction problem when they went in. We had uh, another church that we were connected with that taught them financial literacy um, and we just do life with them. And we do, our transition house is different than most halfway houses uh, in that I build the relationship with these guys. There's, there's rules, but I, I, I try to build the relationship with them first so that they know, they know the rules are coming from the heart, not from out of control, you know. And so, so that's, and then the, it's true, the transition. We don't want you to stay here forever. There's some halfway houses and transition houses that, Guys have been there six, seven years. That is not what we're about. You know, we just want them to come in. We teach them how to save money. And once they get up to a point where they have, you know, a couple months rent, deposit, and everything, we start helping them look for a place to live. So. That's really cool. Um, one thing that comes to mind when you talk about it, I get real, like with our boys in our mentorship program, um, sometimes I find myself, and, and I have to learn how to be, the kids that we work with in our mentorship are at risk, struggling kids. They've all been kicked out of school for something. And sometimes I pour into these kids and then I get, I almost want to say offended or hurt when they, when they mess up again, 
Does that ever happen with any of the guys that come into your program? Have you ever had, you know, guys that have, you know, even though you're pouring into them, relapse or go back or get back in trouble? Like, and is that, how do you deal with that? It happens a lot. And, uh, I didn't deal with it very well in the beginning. And to give you an example, I want to say we opened in May, on May 1st, 2012, December, 2012, shortly after we had our first kid. We had a guy, and we took him in, and um, he I, I could tell he was doing drugs. And I'd already connected him with two of, two of our jobs, and he lost both of those because of the way he was, you know, his work ethic was just horrible. And then I realized why his work ethic was horrible, because of drugs. And then so I'd start talking to him and said, hey, if you can't, if you can't work on this, you know, he didn't want to go to the recovery class, the 12 steps, then we can't, you know, we can't keep you here. So I felt the release of the Holy Spirit to just let him go. And uh, I let him go. And the first week he was out, he had another job at a little parts store delivering in a truck, and he wrecked that, probably because he was high. And then the second week, he was doing yard work for an old man, an 80-year-old military vet and his wife, who was kind of a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And... It's Christmas Eve, six months after we, seven months after we open, and I get a text, are you watching Fox News? And I'm like, no. So I turned on Fox News, and there's the, the mugshot of our former resident. And uh, the old man had evidently wanted him to do some more stuff before he paid him, and Alan and his girlfriend came back later that morning at 3 a.m. and uh, killed that guy while his wife watched because she couldn't do anything about it. And he's doing 50 years ag now for that, for that murder. And I wanted to quit right then because the devil came in and said, Oh, look how you're doing. <laughs> look at the, look at the, the fruits of your labor. Look how well you're doing for these guys, you know? And, uh, immediately the board board and pastors start texting me and calling me and, and because they knew, they knew Alan. Alan had been around our family. He'd been come to church. He was holding our kids. You know, I mean, everybody knew. And so when his face was plastered, I mean, they knew who it was. They knew where he had been staying. And um, they, you know, it was tough. But yes, it's, I've learned not to get offended. I've learned more to just get heartbroken. I think it's okay to be heartbroken, you know, because it breaks God's heart when, when, when people relapse and, do the, do the other stuff that we've tried to teach them not to do. And, and that's the goal is to, is for our heart to break for what breaks God's hearts and God's heart. And so, but it's tough. It is tough, you know, but all it takes is one or two other people that send me a text. I got two texts last year. Uh, one of them, one of them, the guy was standing in front of his brand new home, you know, all yeah. because of a class, a financial class we connected him with that, that did a savings match program and allowed him to to purchase his home. That's really cool. You know, uh, one one I get texts all the time. Hey, I just got a promotion from work. Hey, here's the key to my new car. You know, and I mean these are guys we're doing life with now. You know, some of my best friends in life are violent criminals, according to society. You yeah. know, and um, but yeah, it's it's tough. But I've learned to. Um, I'm a fisherman. Yeah, I mean that's really that's what it comes so, down so to. You're a fisherman and um, and and a farmer, 
you know, and, and the seed we sow are, are going to some fall on rocky, some fertile, some whatever. You know, we throw the bait out there, we fish, and sometimes we, you know, sometimes we the line snaps and some one gets away and, you know, say cuss word, move on. Yeah. No, for <laughs> real. It's hard, though, because it is hard. But the I agree 100% with the the rewarding side of it. It makes up for it. You know, we just got this one boy, Jerry, not to steal the show here, but they got this one boy, Jerry, who um, we when I first met him, he was in the alternative school for getting kicked out. And he got back into his regular school and he had to work really hard, but he got back on the football team. And we just and he's going his grades. He's passing all of his classes and stuff like that. So the couple who have signed up for the program and didn't follow through with it that I got upset about when I see someone doing what they're supposed to be doing, it definitely makes it worth it. But uh, back to the one thing I want to ask about the transition. When are you going into the prisons um, to find people or how do they find like how do they actually find out? Like if we have someone um, if there's someone listening who has like a relative or something who, you know, might need somewhere to go when they get out um, is how did, how would they find you? Yeah. So two ways, if they're already in prison and they know they want to come to a transitional house, um, the prisons, each prisons has a list of approved parole approved transitional houses. And we're on that list. So uh, a family could just tell their loved one to look at that list on their unit and then get our address. They can also go to our website, forgivenfelons.org, and uh, grab grab the uh, my cell phone numbers on there. And so they can call me, they can text me, and we can send their loved one an application. Uh, we're, we've been doing the transitional house thing now for 10 years, but we're going to expand and do what's called a resource center. And we're going to be able to do what we've been doing for a, a, a focused number of guys in the house. Now we're going to be able to do it for the greater Metroplex. So people that aren't even just living in your houses will be able to come to that? That's that, correct. That's, man, that that is such a cool thing. And that was, a you know, th- that's part of the Dream Giver book. The Dream Giver goes on a journey to get his dream. And as soon as he gets his dream, God says, now give it back to me. And he's like, why? I just got it, you know. And the reason God does that is because if you don't, if you don't keep trading your current dream in for the bigger dream that God has for you, then you end back up in the land of familiar where everybody else is who's not chasing any more dreams. And that's called a comfort zone. And uh, so the transitional house became a comfort zone for us. And I wasn't able to, to keep dreaming until God said, no, I, this There's is not. More. Yeah. There's and more, so, yeah. you know, we're going to have vocational training, business opportunities, uh, all the regular social services stuff, you know, the, the food, clothes, hygiene, all that's still going to happen. Uh, there's just going to be a lot more opportunities. That's cool. Do the um, do the men pay a percentage of their paycheck back to the house? They don't pay a percentage of the paycheck. We just have a, a small fee that they pay. And, and, and that really goes to running the house. It's basically, not like it, just, we, it goes right back into us paying our rent for the houses yeah. and the utilities and everything. We don't make... People, people call me all the time and ask me, hey, I want to start one because, you know, that's what I want to do for a living. And I'm like, you're not going to make a living off this. This is not, you don't make money off this unless you want to do a boarding home and pack a bunch of people in there and, and, and be registered with the city of Dallas as a boarding home. And then you have to do all these, all this stuff. And I'm like, it's not, this is not what you want to do for a living. It's- I was even one of those people after the first time we had a podcast, I was thinking like, man, this is a great idea. But the reason I ask that question is a setup for um, a lot of our listeners, you know, they care about causes like we support and, uh, and what exactly what you're doing. How if uh, if someone wanted to, you know, get involved or wanted to help with, you know, you know, help you financially or whatever to help these men get back on their feet. 
uh, how would they do that? Yeah, so you could go right to the website. Even on our landing page, there's an opportunity to give right from there. But there's also a page that says current plans. It shows what we're working on right now, the resource center that I just talked about. It breaks it down, how we're doing all that. And, um, you know, and once we get the resource center open, there's going to be lots more opportunities to volunteer. Uh, we do go back into the prisons now. Uh, not it, it's, not as, it's not as big as it used to be pre-COVID. Uh, we would go on trips where we could go take, like, a group of 50, 100 to go into a prison and go into their cells and, and preach Jesus to the to them in their cells. They don't let us do that anymore, but we can still go in and just have small services. So we do that. You know, if somebody wants to do that, they just get a hold of us. And uh, there's a there's a Texas Department of Criminal Justice training they have to go through before they can go in to do that. So I can I can tell people how to do that as well. But um, but yeah, everything's on the website. You can even listen to our podcast on the website. Uh, background check, you know, when COVID hit, they wouldn't let us go in anymore. So I was like, God, how do we share our stories? You know, cause I would take the guys from the house in with me back into prison when they were able to go. That's cool. And so I was like, how are we going to continue to share our stories? And he said, start the podcast. So I started the podcast and, and, uh, we haven't stopped yet. Hundred, going 100, 110 episodes. We've had some pretty cool people on there, including yourself. So, uh, that's so good. when you said 110 episodes earlier, I was thinking to myself, wow, I'm sitting here trying to record episode four and like coming. And I, like I asked you, I was like, man, how do you not get anxiety about stuff to run out of? I mean, you said you didn't have that me. I'm like, man, I gotta make sure that I'm like staying creative, you know? Cause it's, but I feel like I totally trust God to, he knows my heart. He knows that what I'm doing this for, I know that he's going to just plant the right people in the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, Sean, I want to encourage you because I'm just a talker, so I'm never going to run out of words. Um, but what I've what I've learned and what people have said said we love the interviews, but make sure you do some solo episodes too, because that's when I just talk about a topic. That's when I you know when when Roe versus Wade went out there, I just did a solo episode about my thoughts about Roe versus Wade, how that impacts me as a Christian, how that impacts me as a as a formerly incarcerated. You know, when you tell me you're pro life. You know, how pro-life are you? Because there's some innocent people on death row. How pro-life are you? One in nine people that we kill in this United States wow. are innocent. So are you really pro-life or just pro-life with a certain demographic? Wow, that just knocked my head off right Yeah, there. so I, I did that. You know, even when I episode, the episode title, I put thoughts on Roe versus Wade. In parentheses, I put trigger alert. Yeah, because that's definitely, that's, but that's so good because sometimes you got to find a way to get people involved to be able to hear about, because I didn't know that. I didn't know one in nine were innocent, but I believe it. And it might even be higher than that when you really think well, about it. Well, that's right? just death row. That's okay. just death row. So um, the, the best estimates for everybody, uh, all the innocence projects estimate about eight to 10% people in prison are there innocently, not for the crime they committed. Yeah, and when you look at over two two million people in in prison, then you're talking about two hundred thousand. And that's an entire that's a whole episode we could go into about how prison is really just a big business. It's a money making machine. You we could make I mean? that two episodes. Yeah, we could go on it on forever about that too. Um, and let's not even get into the who um, wrote the the crime bill that has all us doing these this type of time. You know what I mean? These mandatory minimums and things like that. Where that comes from? But again, we I try for the most part to stay out of politics. Um, I, I'll dabble here and there because um, it's important. It's important, especially how, you know, elections are important. It's, I mean, look where we're at right now. You know what I mean? Like it's, so it's definitely important, but that's a touchy subject. But dude, thank you so much for doing this. Like, 
I, I can't even explain just your friendship, man. Like, honestly, and I'm just going to be transparent here. Um, when I, and I came up with the forgiven AF idea, like, I don't know where it came from, but, and then after I started thinking about it, I was like, oh man, I really hope that, uh, Jay Dan doesn't think that I was, that I'm like stealing his idea or like <laughs> trying to copy him because I, I mean, and I care about stuff like that, but that when you reached out to me and we're like, man, the podcast is great, dude. I literally, I can't even under explain like the, I, does that make sense? Yes, like, it does. And, and, and look, I, I love what Ed Young said when he talked about, you know, who Ed Young is. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. He said, um, and if you don't, he's the pastor of fellowship church and they have like seven campuses. It's, yeah. He's a great pastor. He said, when talking about, you know, stealing other people's stuff and whether, you know, like people would come up to him and go, you know, Hey, I heard so-and-so was preaching your sermon. And he's like, these aren't my sermons. He said, he said, they're all from the Bible. And he said, I don't even care. He said, you, he said, my motto is you got eyes, plagiarize. If you want to use anything I've said, that is a compliment to me. Take it and use it whenever, however you want. And uh, somebody, you know, we have a big, we have a big uh, social media presence when we do North Texas Giving Day and we share impact stories and do all the stuff. We give away stuff. And somebody this year called and said, hey, we just, we're going to up our game on, North Texas Giving Day, and, and kind of do some of the things that you'd normally do. We just wanted to ask you if that's okay. And I'm like, what do you mean? You're asking permission for you to do stuff that I don't have copyright to? You can do whatever you want, man. I, I said, I said, just like Ed Young says, you got eyes plagiarized. So, you know, uh, in the beginning, you know, we do have Forgiven Felons, the name trademark. Uh, because there was somebody that was trying to say Forgiven Felons Foundation on Facebook, going and asking people for money, and they were actually asking my contacts, pretending like they're Forgiven Felons. So I, I got a lawyer and trademarked the name. That's good. So that people, you know, but that's, I mean, I'll, it's only trade, but you just can't put it on shirts and yeah, stuff no, like that's that. Good. But, but I love Forgiven AF, man. I think it's really I cool like the too, name, right? It's yeah. kind of catchy, and it's like, very. it's cool. And then it's really like, I say it's a play on Always Faithful. As opposed to, you know, but I like that. It's a trigger. It's like, it's just a, just to get people's attention. But again, Jay, Dan, thank you very much. I love you, dude. Like I really do. And what you're doing is amazing. Keep impacting these people. Keep pouring into that community because there's not many people that are willing to do that. Um, one last thing before we sign off, I just want to make sure that everybody remembers that, um, that you're loved and you're forgiven and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Uh, do you have anything that you want to say before we're done? You know, I'm the man of God that I am today by the grace of God and my mama's prayers and my wife's, um, my wife's ability to love me the way God mm. loves me. Man, that's so good. So I love that. Amen, dude. Follow, cool. follow us on social media. I'm sure you'll have the links on there. Absolutely. I'll put them all, all in right. there for everyone. Hey, we love oh, you guys. Hey, wait. Yeah. The documentary. We have a documentary. What? Yes. How are we going to leave that out? Yes. I don't know. Go to Roku, Roku TV. You can watch Roku on anything. Download the Roku app. You can watch it on your, you may even have a Roku TV, um, but the Forgiven Felons documentary. It's hosted, Dude, what? Hosted by Sting. You know, Sting, the wrestler. How are you going to leave this I, out? I that, you should have led with that. Yeah, you're right. I should have led How with that. How freaking cool that. is that? Yeah. That's, that's so that's cool. cool. Man, I love you guys. And Jay Dan, man, I'm proud of you, bro. Love you. Love you too, man.